1: What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Bronx Pinstripe Show, episode 243. Scott, we may have a signature Yankees moment alert on our hands tonight.
2: Oh, we absolutely have a Yankees signature moment alert. There's no doubt about it. John Carlos Stanton finally comes up in Yankee Stadium where people have been giving him endless shit because he's been terrible at home. And what does he do? He walks it off. He walks it off after being down 5-0. It
1: was beautiful. So I'm confused because I've always been under the impression that signature Yankee moments can only happen in October. They cannot happen on June 20th. It's
2: not a signature Yankee moment per se for for like the record books. It's not that it's his signature Yankee moment to <laughs> to you know it needs that one. It's the Giambi home run in the rain. It's the mm-hmm. it's the the first thing you do that that gets that W. It's usually a walk-off at home, in the pinstripes, as a Yankee. That's what it it's, is. And that's, it's the he monkey it. off your back. Yeah, he needed it. He absolutely needed it. It's always one of those, you know, when, when a, you have a new guy come over, especially a guy that has all the fanfare, he's got to earn it. He's got to earn it for the Yankee fans. He's got to earn it in the Bronx. And tonight was that moment. Tonight was that moment that now people will give him a little bit more slack.
1: He looked happier than he's been. At any point this season, running around those bases, jumping up and down, doing the handoff at third base, getting the Gatorade shower at home, almost looked like a sixteen-year-old kid walking into high school after he lost his virginity. That's how happy he was.
2: I mean, that, that's that's the thing. You start playing, uh, you start playing loose, you start playing uh, happy like that. You're having fun. That's when good things happen. And he's been he's been really, really hitting the ball well over the past few games. So it's really good to see him come around. And for for all those 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 hating doubters that say that Carlos Stanton was a joke and I can't believe we got him I mean he was terrible for the first couple months and his numbers are still there I mean they're all still there that's what's crazy
1: it was June 19th of last season when he went to the closed batting stance and that's exactly where we are at this point if you look at his numbers as far as home run production power numbers it's pretty equal to where he was at this point in the season last year I mean, he went on that unbelievable run in the second half of the season last year that won him the MVP. Who knows if he's going to do that again? But if we're just doing up until June, middle of June of last year, this is where Stanton was at that point. No, absolutely, and and we—he's
2: been a slow starter in the past. He's a—he's a guy that um, has tinkered with his stance a number of times. I mean, there, there's been talk. About Boone has said no, not really. hasn't He hasn't changed his stance. It looks like it's a a little bit more opened up, slightly. You know, not much, but there's a slight uh, difference in the way his legs are positioned. I think, and whatever it is, I don't really care what he does or how he does it, as long as he gets his confidence right and he's able to see the ball and hit the ball, it's gonna go. uh, it's, It's gonna do damage, and that's what happened today.
1: I think what we've learned about Stanton is, we're, well, first of all, we're still expecting the run where he goes on maybe 15 homers in a month, and he's just the best player in baseball for that span. But I think no matter what, he's always going to have those at bats that you scratch your head and say, yeah. "What the hell happened there?"
2: Right, and you know, as a as a fan looking at. Uh, standing from a distance you don't see those at bats you see the highlights you see all the good stuff you don't see those like those those at bats where like what does this guy play baseball for a living they're like chris carter at bats sprinkled into very good at bats
1: (laughs) right we only saw the sports center highlights of the 470 foot moon blast
2: exactly and that's why we all thought chris carter was a you know something decent in milwaukee
1: Right, right. (laughs) We're going to get into everything that's happened. It's been a busy couple days for the Yankees. Uh, Before that, though, just a couple housekeeping notes. On the last uh, second half of this podcast, I spoke to Jim Callis. He is an MLB draft and prospects expert from MLB.com. Got into a lot of draft topics as well as Yankees pipeline stuff. Really fun conversation. So stay tuned for that segment. Uh, also June 29th tickets are going fast the deadline is Sunday but do not wait because they might be sold out by then this this event is going exactly uh selling exactly how we expected it it's a pl- going to be a playoff type game between the Yankees and Red Sox and these tickets are, are hot going fast
2: yeah I mean and and frankly they're they're the cheapest ticket in town honestly <laughs> so uh if you go anywhere that else, that helps that helps it's a uh, it's a good deal and the I, I want to say uh, I have an inventory tracker now on on our tickets because we do have a, uh, a set amount for this particular game and I want to say we have like you know under thirty tickets remaining and then those will go. so uh, get get your if you're looking for a group still or if you're trying to get your people together, uh, don't wait because they will be gone most likely um, by, by the weekend, but if they're not, Sunday will be the last day that we're going to accept any uh, any any sales. I'll, I'll take it off the website uh, late Sunday night. And uh, and then we'll start moving forward. All the T-shirts that we got in by the deadline are uh, being printed right now. Some of them are being shipped already and uh, they're going to be going out. You know, this uh, most of them will be out uh, tomorrow and then on Friday as well. And, you know, people should start getting them over the weekend and early into next week. So that is uh, that's going according to plan. If you have not seen the shirt check out my twitter account it is hot it's pretty dope it's uh it's actually a concept that i had a couple years ago and i never really built it out and i just kind of was going over ideas in my head and and started to rebuild this one out but it's um 27 time heavyweight champion of the world and uh that that's the the premise of the design so it ended up really cool Uh, i'm happy with it and i think you guys will be too so uh, i'm pumped for everybody to get those and uh, see that nice sea of navy blue sitting in 205 we're at, those, we're at like three hundred people, by the way.
1: It's that's amazing. I, I cannot wait. And who knows? Those twenty-seven time heavyweight champion of the world shirts might only be good for this season and this season only.
2: Hey, collector's item. That's beautiful. Got to let the Boston. <laughs> Got to let the, the you know the Boston crowd because you know there'll be some stragglers uh, in the in the mix. Um, Got to let them re- remember how many uh, how many times that that our boys
1: have won these this championship. Did you hear uh, Michael Kay on the broadcast tonight talking about how the Yankees from here on out have, I think, the fourth easiest schedule in baseball and the Red Sox have one of the harder schedules in baseball? I didn't hear him talking about it tonight, but I did know about it.
2: I mean, we've been talking about how the Yankees have been, uh, you know, taking on the the harder competition early on. And and we're seeing this now. (laughs) We play the Tampa twice in a week and a half. So Mm -hmm. um, and the Red Sox started off the season with one of the easiest schedules. So it was bound to happen.
1: Well, the reason I bring it up is because right now the Red Sox are struggling in Minnesota again. They're losing tonight, Wednesday, in the eighth inning. Um, But I still think that despite the difference in schedules, the two teams are going to be there the entire season, and it's going to be those two teams fighting uh, neck and neck to win the division, and whoever wins the 13 games is probably going to win the division. Do you still agree with that, or do you think that that schedule might play more of a factor to the Red Sox uh, in the second half?
2: Well, I mean, I think the Yankees are a better team, first of all. I think they they have the the edge as far as just the the way that the team is going, and honest, the way that the the pitching has lined up lately, even with injuries, you know, the Yankees have shown that they can stay in these games. And I just think the offense is superior, and it's going to be even more as the season goes on. You're, I think we're going to be able, we're really going to see that. I mean, JD Martinez is on a, a freaking tear, and if you know if he calls off for an extended period of time, that offense is in trouble, especially if Betts, um, you know, isn't. Isn't uh, back and, and healthy and contributing, but the 13 games like you talked about, like obviously those are the most intricate; those are the most important games. So the schedule will come into play, but those 13 games can wipe all of that away. Because if the Red Sox were to come in and beat the Yankees, uh, you know, significant amount of time or significant times within those 13, it changes the it changes the whole dynamic of uh, of
1: the playoff race, right. Yeah. And you mentioned like if J.D. Martinez or Mookie Betts goes into a slump, that could really change the dynamic of that Red Sox lineup. And I think what we've seen with the Yankees where Sanchez has been in a slump for seemingly the entire month of June, Stanton has not really been hot yet. And the team is still continuing to win games. And maybe just maybe Sanchez and Stanton are finally getting going because Sanchez has been having much better at bats. He's hitting the ball hard again, or he's been continuing to hit the ball hard, but He's been hit hitting into bad luck. There was that that stat that on Tuesday he lined into the hardest ever. Yeah, out. 120 miles per hour? 121.1 miles an hour. Hardest non ground ball tracked by Statcast, and it was a friggin' out. It's like what more can you do as a player when you hit the ball? The hardest anything has ever been recorded. It's like can't you can't aim it sometimes. Yeah,
2: no, and what was the second one? The the, the one before that was when Judge hit that that like low line drive to the wall, right? It was almost a, um, yeah,
1: I believe it was actually a judge home run against Baltimore last year. Okay. Um, so
2: the, that, the home run must've come after that. Cause I remember when he hit one, it was a, it was either a ground ball or it was a low line drive that, that ended up rolling to the wall, but it was just a, a, a laser and it was, right. uh, it was one of the hardest hit balls.
1: Well, this was a non-grounder. Got it. So they, they I guess they, I guess ground balls are, are more commonly hit at 100 well, and we've established that Gary
2: Sanchez doesn't hit ground balls well.
1: Does not he's not a ground ball hitter. He's a launch angle kind of guy.
2: Right, right, right. Yeah, got to get that ball
1: up for him. And he crushed that shot tonight that tied the game in the 8th inning.
2: Oh no doubt about it. You could see the smirk on his face, like he's like, yeah, you know, I'm feeling it. I'm coming back. Uh, the fact that Stanton's coming back in that same game, it was it was nice to see those two guys, and you know, sprinkle in some Judge because he was doing it as well. It's like he, he's still involved in every game, whether he's a hero or not. He's just he does his job every single time, and he's such an impressive player. But like you know, getting back to the lineup real quick, like that's that's the thing. The biggest difference between the Yankees and the Red Sox right now, in uh, when you look at the offense, is is yes, the Red Sox can can absolutely be hurt if a couple of their guys are uh, are not on on fire and they're not you know driving in runs like they're like like they've been. But the Yankees have so many unbelievable players in this lineup that it doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter if one or two guys are are, are slumping, and, and it could be one of their two. Main guys, it could be one or two of their power hitters. It could be Judge and Stanton, and this this lineup could still do damage. That's the huge difference. One through nine, you're going to get hurt, and 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 that's a big deal.
1: Of course, of course, and we have not seen it yet this year, and I'm I'm kind of actually afraid for when we finally do see it, we might have nine-hour ball games on our hands every night.
2: Yeah, they're going to be long games. There's <laughs> no doubt about it.
1: Um, so dating going back to Monday, the the kind of quasi doubleheader the Yankees split it first of all that suspended game didn't even feel real that kind of felt like a spring training game we're just thrown into the middle of that sixth inning Chad Green is starting quote-unquote he's opening makes makes Brian Kenny happy except for the fact that Juan Soto is just a beast and in his 10 plate appearances against the Yankees this season has three homers
2: yeah two of them are off uh or one of them was off Sonny Gray was two or two of them off Sonny Gray yeah, No, at least one, one of them Sonny it one was the sunny. fly ball
1: one was Chase Sh- Chase and then Chad Green.
2: Yeah, so it was the 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 ball that got up in the uh, in the wind tunnel in left field for Sonny Gray. But now the kid's three home runs. The kid's definitely done damage. Um, he's he's impressive. He hits the ball hard to all fields. He's an impressive kid. I'm glad we don't yeah. have to play him all the time.
1: That's what I yeah I think I tweeted that out. It's thank God that the Yankees won't have to see him again for another four years in interleague play or maybe a World Series matchup.
2: Yeah, no, I mean they have something going for sure in in the outfield over there. It's uh it's interesting to see what they'll do. Um with, you know, they have this kid and then uh with with Bryce Harper being a free agent. I still expect him to go back there next year, but we'll see.
1: He got a little desperate shaving his beard while the Yankees are in town. I know, think, right? Yeah. Look I, at me. Look at me. Look at me, Brian Cashman.
2: He knew damn well what he was doing <laughs> when, when he shaved that beard. He knew damn well that the storyline was going to be there. I, I'm glad that really it, it didn't get as much juice as, uh, as I think he wanted it to because I, I think people saw it and and you know kind of brushed it off a little bit.
1: I think most intelligent baseball fans realize there's no place on this Yankees roster for for Bryce Harper. Not that he couldn't help, because that's obvious. He's a, he's an all-world type of player. Anytime you add that type of talent to a team, they get better. But where realistically, where conceivably is he going to fit both uh, just financially and in the lineup, in, in the everyday outfield? Where is he going to fit? It's, not, it's just not feasible.
2: The thing, and I don't want to spend much time on this, but the thing is with him, is, is yeah, he can help. I mean, there's no doubt. Like you said, he's an all-world player. But at the same time, you're going to be taking away a guy who's a pretty good player somewhere because to fit him in there. And you're adding this giant contract. And you know what you're adding? You're adding a pain in the ass. Like, he just looks like a pain in the ass. And I, I really, honestly, like, I don't care how good he is. This team is extremely good like we don't need another guy that's that good to to win this team right now is 100 is better than good they don't need him at all so why do we have to deal with an attitude like him a guy i just i i don't know he looks like a pain in the ass to me he definitely Mm -hmm. looks like a guy that i would get absolutely sick of
1: yeah you know who else is a pain in the ass sunny gray (laughs) yes sunny gray five plus innings of sweaty mediocrity on monday
2: yeah you know he was he was um you were looking for him to do something a little bit better and uh, he wasn't bad but he he kept the, he kept the team in the game he just you know there was no depth there was he was falling behind it was it was a, uh, it seemed like a struggle it just it wasn't great
1: Imagine if, if Jonathan Holder didn't pull a Houdini act and escape that. Then instead of five plus innings, two runs, we're looking at five plus innings and three or four runs. And that's a totally different outlook on Sonny Gray. This is the so- exact
2: same narrative we had of his, of his last start because he had uh, the couple pickoffs and then uh, a couple guys right. caught in the base paths. So this is the exact same narrative we're talking about from the last time he played uh, the Nationals and faced the Nationals. So it's, yeah. it's Sonny Gray not being good and us. he's, he's just getting lucky.
1: Real lucky. <laughs> well, the thing that really frustrates me is we saw him; just it looked pain. It looked like a laborious, painful activity for him to get through every single batter. And I understand it was like a hundred degrees and the humidity was off the charts, but it was still just he he was reverting back to the nibble, 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 fall behind, go into deep counts, ton of runners on base eighty six pitches in five plus innings it's just it's just mediocre no matter what way you slice it,
2: yeah, and you know i i don't really know what more to say about this kid honestly it's it's we all know what he is we are, or we all know what he can be we've seen glimpses of of Sonny Gray pitching well um he's just not doing it and, and he's just getting too deep. The problem is, is that he's getting too deep in counts if he's it's it's a simple solution if he if he's working ahead he's good if he's not he's bad that's it. <laughs> There's no in between. <laughs> it, there, it really isn't. I mean, like that's that's it. You, he needs to control the strike zone. He needs to get out in front of hitters. If he's not doing that, then he's vulnerable for a whole bunch of stuff. He, he's he's getting knocked around. He's throwing the ball over the plate, um, and and he's just uh he's not the same guy. It's, he's a very different guy when he's when he's behind in the count.
1: And like I said, Holder totally saved his ass. Sonny Gray owes Holder his paycheck after that performance. And Holder has been unbelievably phenomenal since returning from Scranton the last time he gave up an earned run was april 6th it's june 20th like yeah. though when when that stat went out on on monday night i almost i did a quadruple take i couldn't believe it
2: no it's he's he's absolutely been the story of the of the pitching staff i think so far because of what he's done out there and and the fact that he started off so poorly and gave up you know, that, um, what was it? It was in, in Toronto, right? To, uh, well, he had
1: two of his first three outings of the season. He gave up three earned runs. Right.
2: Yeah. And then he went down to Scranton and I think gave up a grand slam or a home run. in One of his first starts or one yeah. of his first appearances back from being sent down. So he was demoralized, like completely just, you know, zero confidence at that point. And uh, thinking that he blew his one opportunity. He's never going to get back up to the bigs. Like this is all the things that are going through his head. He gets finally gets back up. And hasn't done anything wrong since then. Twenty-four,
1: twenty-four 24 and a third innings pitched since he came back up. Only nine hits allowed, 23 strikeouts, three walks, and three runs. They were all unearned. And he's allowing, um, I looked it up, uh, entering tonight, he pitched, I think, two and a third um, scoreless innings tonight. But entering tonight, he was allowing a 120 batting average against.
2: Yeah, beautiful. And he just kept coming back out tonight. Like Shreve kept coming back out, and then Jonathan Holder kept coming back out.
1: Yeah, Boone, except Boone was. We lazy. didn't want to see. We didn't want to see Shreve come back out, and he kept coming back out. We would. We wanted to see Holder. Like I would have used Holder in that fourth inning jam after Lois Siga was pulled, right, with the runners on base. Like Holder just proved himself he can pull a Houdini act. And who do you bring in? Chase and Shreve, who has reverse splits. He he brings him in to face D Gordon. I wrote it down. Hold on, let me find it. So against lefties this season, Shreve has a 913 OPS against, and against right is a 787 both are pretty bad but 913 against lefties is horrendous you're using him like he's a lefty specialist except for the fact that he doesn't get left-handed batters out
2: that's a problem like for, a for being a, lefty for a specialist. team
1: for a team that 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 is supposed to be analytics forward well why are you ignoring those analytics
2: yeah this is uh I, I i was really scratching my head when boone brought him out and then just kept him in i mean there was nobody even warming up um when you know when he's just getting lit up and lit up uh, after um, after he finally closes out the uh, the inning. But the the thing with the thing with Chasen Shreve is is that if he's not getting those left handed batters out, what is the reason he's on this roster? What's his What's the point? I don't get it. Exactly. I don't even know exactly. why he's taking up a spot at this point if he can't get left handed batters out.
1: I think if he threw with his right arm, he would not be on this roster anymore.
2: Oh, I mean, there's no doubt about it. He's he would be. Uh, a very mediocre run of the mill. I mean, you could say that about a bunch of lefties, but yeah, the fact that he's on this roster is because he's lefty. But the thing is, if you're looking at it, like you're saying he doesn't get lefties out. So there's no point.
1: You're telling me that um, Tommy Canley couldn't come up here and get lefties out more efficiently than Shreve is.
2: I think Tommy Canley, if hundred percent healthy, if they feel comfortable with him, could absolutely do that. I think David Robertson could absolutely do that.
1: There's a number of guys and, AJ Cole didn't pitch for a month. He finally got into a he's game. He's been on pretty Tuesday. good since
2: he's been in. I mean,
1: he's been I, he's done nothing wrong either. I know that. But but that's another guy where if you're if he's not gonna pitch from May 28th to June 19th, what is the point of taking up a roster spot?
2: Well, I, I think AJ Cole is uh I think they they see they might see something in him. I mean, he started off the season as one of so those starters in the nationals. Him. But listen, they started off so the fact that he's still there is they know he is a valuable um, Backup as well because they can use him as a starter if they need to. They can stretch him out to be a starter because that's what he's that's what he started the season as, and he's been an effective reliever when he's in. So I think they see something there, and that's why they don't want to let him go at this point because they know you know he wouldn't be on the team any longer. So that's, there's that's a, all fine. They're gonna they would completely lose him if um, if if they were to give that up. So yeah, Shreve is the guy.
1: No, no, I I agree with you on Cole. If they really truly do believe in Cole and see something then then fine. But don't have him sit in the bullpen and not pitch for a month. Well, the pr- that, the, that, the problem that is, is really a waste. It's a waste. You could you're telling me that a roster, that roster spot couldn't be better served for either a position player or, or a reliever that actually pitches?
2: No, my point is uh, what I'm saying is that they they if they were to give up that roster spot, they lose the player. It's not like they option him down, but um I don't know like, the situation where he's in right now, he has the ability to decline that, go out in free agency, right? And then probably get on another if they team, know that about him, it. Yeah, yeah, if they release yeah. him, So that's totally, what would happen.
1: But- but uh, they're so so right now. AJ Cole's on this roster for the emergency situation in case somebody gets well. We gets have injuries. Injured there are whatever.
2: injuries. That's the that's the that's the thing. Right now, they're using a kid from Double A. Like there's no <laughs> there's no definitive uh, fifth starter right now. So yeah, I think they they kind of have to keep a guy like him on, um, so that they can have a, a you know the ability to bring somebody up. Because look what happened. There was nobody on the forty man roster to bring up. They had to literally bring a kid from Double A up. So when we're looking right. at options for fifth starters right now if, if um, you know however long Tanaka's out it's pretty thin so a guy like uh, a guy like AJ Cole becomes more valuable because of that
1: I just look at they, they love this eight man bullpen and the seventh guy in the bullpen sucks and that's Jason and Shreve and the eighth guy in the bullpen didn't pitch for a month so they need to do something where either get Shreve out of here start using AJ Cole more do something because it's kind of a waste with, the, with, with what they've been doing that's, that's all I'm saying it's Shreve he's a problem yeah, I, I think maybe we saw the last of Shreve tonight.
2: Maybe. I, I'd 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 still uh I, I wouldn't be surprised if they did, but I I have a feeling they won't.
1: I'm hopeful anyway. Um Tommy Canley I saw was touching upper nineties in I screen. did see
2: that. It was yeah, ninety six I saw that uh tweeted out from Scranton. That's good. I mean, he's been, and con, with consistency too, he was, he's been hitting the uh, 95, 96. So look, that means he's, he's getting back. I, mean, I think that was one of the big reasons he was down there is because his, you know, he had rehab, but his velocity wasn't where they wanted it to. And, and that's what he's just working himself through. I think people forget about Tommy Canley and the fact that he's, you know, a dynamic cl- uh, uh, relief pitcher. That's, that's just waiting in the wings to come in and bolster this thing even more.
1: I mean, at, I- and during the season, he was going to be the fourth or fifth guy out of that bullpen. Yeah, no doubt. No, he's yeah. a,
2: he's a he's an absolute weapon. Just just waiting there, just salivating. He's a bulldog that was, too.
1: That was the guy we were most excited about from that White Sox trade last year. We thought that was going to be the Tommy Canley trade. Yeah,
2: well, and because he, he lit it up. I mean, he's been he was he was very good last year. So I, I think he's got something to prove. He seems like a guy that. Um, that you know really doesn't like to go out there and, and not do well in front of people. Uh, he just it seems like he's a prideful guy uh, and, and wants to do real well. So uh, I have a lot of confidence in him coming back and being effective.
1: Couple other uh, injury and roster notes. So we have El Rojo Red Thunder back on the roster. Ronnie Toto was sent down, um, and with Gardner's knee kind of still barking, he's still day to day. Although they're not DLing him that means Clint Freese is getting some playing time.
2: I think he took some swings today. Or he was in the cage doing something dry, so Ooh, Dry swings? Dry, dry hump in the swings and it seems like he's uh he's working his way back, I, you know. It's one of those it's one of those lingering things that it, it'll be healthy when it's healthy. So I'm I'm I wouldn't be surprised if we saw something retroactive also.
1: Right, because the last time he played was Saturday.
2: Yeah, that wouldn't surprise me, especially if they got into a roster pinch
1: and they could retroactive DL him and it's only a 10 day DL so you're really only DLing him for like 5 days and then that way you could call back Ronald Torres and not have to play with a two man bench essentially options lots of options yeah um you don't really and, hearing much about peop- not not many
2: people complaining that Torres got sent down again this time the right. the out- the, out- the the roar from the uh, fans the outrage was a lot a lot smaller this time well
1: do you know why that is
2: because it had already happened, people have already been accustomed to it, and they're winning.
1: No, because it was Clint Fraser, and every everyone everyone loves Clint Fraser.
2: It's a little of both. I mean, you know, once you do it one time, it's like, okay, it's already happened. I'm 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 done being upset. <laughs> they're still good.
1: Although the last one was for Greg Bird, and everyone loves Greg Bird too, so so who do knows? they? I guess does
2: everybody love Greg Bird? Is that? A, is, are you sure about that?
1: Everyone likes the idea of Greg. I Bird. I
2: think people are getting fed up with Greg Bird. I think people have been fed up with Greg Bird. People roll their eyes at Greg Bird, and and then he does well, and they're like, oh yes, that's the guy that everybody, the best hitter in the organization that we've been hearing about for years. Like you know, let, that's the guy, that's the guy people are excited about. But I think people roll their eyes when they hear about Greg Bird. still. So.
1: So Bert came up the weekend of our last event, May 26th. He's been up for whatever, about a month now. He has not been hitting consistently, but he's not injured. So, so that's a plus. That we know At least, of, he's, no, a, at he's, least he's out he's at least he's out there playing every day. I'm confident that he will get his rhythm and his swing back. It's just gonna take some time. Do you remember last year he came back up in September and he didn't start hitting immediately? It took him until the end of September and into October before he got into a rhythm.
2: Yeah, I mean I, I really hope it I really do hope it comes. I hope the guy um I hope the guy can, can find that rhythm and, and be that pure hitter because I think it's such a big spot. When you when you sandwich a guy in there who can get on base a lot and, and has pop in that three spot, you know, it especially if he's a lefty, it really really changes the dynamic of that lineup. I mean if Didi's hitting well and he's in a three spot too, it's uh you're getting similar you're getting similar production at that way, especially the way D has been this year in the three spot when he's hot. Um, but you know, Bird's that guy, so it's just a matter of if he can actually fill the shoes that everybody thinks he, you know, if he could be the guy that everybody th- wants him to be,
1: right? That's and, and that's, it just
2: hasn't it hasn't happened
1: yet at all. It's still it's just still the potential. I'm still Greg waiting Bird. for
2: I'm still waiting for your MVP. That's what I'm still waiting for. I'm waiting for this MVP hmm. guy to show up.
1: Well, he was my X Factor in 2016, and he was my MVP in 2017. And what is he right? now? He is he is my nothing. <laughs> He is my I've, nothing. I've moved on to bigger and better things. <laughs> I will jinx other people. He is, I have, he is I have my, done Greg Bird dirty enough. Yeah. Oh, that uh, sounded bad. Yeah. <laughs> uh Herman has uh continued to impress. Tuesday, 7 innings, only 2 hits allowed, 2 runs, only 1 earned, 9 strikeouts. The defense kind of bit him in the first inning where they had that er- Didi had that error and then Anduhar couldn't handle the line drive that allowed Dee Gordon to score so realistically He could have just been on that one Run performance on Tuesday night
2: Well yeah and I mean I think That's that's such a a key thing to look at Too I mean we've seen we've seen um, Him get get Hit around early in the starts And he's kept his composure and has continued to pitch well into um, into the, the rest of the game. And I think, you know, this was a little bit of a different situation in in the sense that it wasn't really him that was doing the damage. The defense hurt him, but yet he still kept his composure uh, and pitched well, P- pitched deep, deep into the game, seven innings, um, only gave up two hits. Like, that's ridiculous. And, and still has that high strikeout total. He's had a high strikeout total pretty much in every single one of his outings. Like, he's still missing bats. Every single time he's out there, he's missing bats. And... You know, he's been really, really impressive. And I think the numbers when you're looking at the earned runs and the runs, um, they're deceptive because I think they they don't tell the full story of who he actually is. He's really been good. And I'm I'm excited for him long term. I think he's I think he's going to be around for a while.
1: I think his ERA and that kind of thing will start to normalize yeah. and, and come down. And I, you and I were kind of early adopters of Herman because we were looking at some of these swings and miss stuff, which I think is very telling. And seeing that, well, the results aren't there, but, but the stuff is there. And it's just going to take time because he is a rookie and he is filling in for somebody who's injured. So let's give him a second to try and figure it out. And he's figuring it out. He is, and you can see the confidence coming
2: too. I think that's one of the bigger things when you're when you're a young guy and you're stepping into a role like that on a very good team when everybody around you is doing well or is a you know all star caliber pr- player at this point. Like, there's there's some pressure. There's a lot of pressure to go in there and you know to to at least keep your you know keep your team in the game and, and get some depth. And I think we're seeing a guy that that you know probably felt that early in the games when his first few starts. And it seems like he's settling into the role and and realizes that this is his this is his slot now I mean he's he's going to be in the rotation for the rest of the season and you know this is his spot so get comfortable and, and do your thing and I think that's what we're seeing.
1: Especially now because they have two two rookies in the rotation with Herman and Loa Sega. and what we saw from Loa Siga tonight was a lot of pitches early in that game. He got beat on the couple of uh, infield grounders in the first inning. Just a ton of base runners. He was kind of nibbling, and we we did we never saw him settle in like we saw him do his last time out. But similar to Herman, where he's going to go through these growing pains as a rookie just being introduced to the major leagues, I think they're going to continue to give him. Shots at the rotation. Like I don't think this was Louis Sega's last start. Well, no, so, there's
2: there's no there's nobody else. <laughs> there, no, there are there are there's, other there's people. AJ they Cole. Do. AJ Cole could go in there and do that. I mean, yeah, there are there are some there. They are, could make other. They could moves. make arrangements. They could make some moves. But at, right now, absolutely. And, and I mean, this is this is not the same situation as as uh, Domingo Hermann because he's Hermann has, has been up before. I mean, he's been to, in the in the big leagues um, for you know short spurts. Like this this kid came from Double A this is a big jump. This is a huge deal. So, you know, it's so natural for this kid to come out there and, and be a little off and fire a off. And today you could really see it. I think it didn't seem like he really got into that. He never really got into the game. He was he was missing with his fastball. Um, and, and, and similar to the first outing, he wasn't missing by much. I mean, that fastball was just on the outside black and uh, he wasn't getting the call. He wasn't getting that low strike. And um, you know he he just continued to uh, to fall behind hitters and just really never never got into that groove. And I think in the first inning was a little fortunate. Um, you know had the first two runners on, and then there was a hard hit ball up the middle that was turned into a double play. So they were positioned well to get him out of that inning. But we're seeing that same thing for the first two outings, right? Like he he's been in trouble, but then also gotten out of them uh, out of the uh, out of the innings, really unscathed at that point um, until his final inning. But we're going to see improvements from him i think he's a young dude they, we got to be patient with him
1: yeah he i mean he's a baby he's <laughs> he, a- he looks like a baby out there and you just realize how how raw he is so it's kind of kind of crazy that this is where the Yankees are at this point in the season with two rookies out of the five starting rotation. And
2: they're winning, that's the thing. Like they have some rope. They have some they have some leeway to let these guys kind of get into their groove. And and that's such a that's such an advantage to other people because this offense is so damn good and they're really never out of a game no matter what. And honestly, the fact that there really aren't better options at this point, there's there's, you know, let, go out there and do your thing. They're, they're really uh, while there is pressure to perform internally I'm sure for these guys like the organization at this point and Boone I can only I can you know there's there's not a ton of pressure on him right now just got to go out and do it because he's the guy.
1: Well, I think what fans are going to be saying is why aren't the Yankees making a move on the trade market right now to fill that rotation out? And we saw maybe one of the first dominoes fall where the Nationals traded for Kelvin Herrera from Kansas City. Obviously, it's a good thing that the Astros didn't acquire him. I think the Astros are in the market for some bullpen help. But maybe that's the first sort of trade hot stove um, domino to fall uh, on, on this year's market.
2: Yeah, and I'm still hearing there's still a lot of chatter about J. Ja Happ. This is a. Mm-hmm. I have a feeling that's going to be a uh, that's that's not going to go away anytime soon. I feel like he's the he's going to be one of those guys that they're that they're going to be going after because I'm just afraid that you know some of these top top name guys one are not realistic, and then two you know if they are if they are offered up they're just gonna they're going to be asking for too much. The, the the problem with the Yankees is in right now, and they're going to be at the end of the season. We've talked about this in the past is that they can't protect all these guys. So something something's going to have to give at some point, um, whether it's in the middle of the season, after the season. Uh, but, you know, they have the assets. It's just a matter of if they're willing to give them up for some of these. It's nobody on the Mets because I just don't expect that to happen. But we're, I'm, th- I'm talking about a guy like Cole Hamels. I, I just, if you want it <laughs> for a rental to give up some of your, your top young guys for a guy like Cole Hamels, is it worth it?
1: Well, I actually talked to Jim about uh, Cole Hamels and who the Yankees might have to trade to acquire him, so, and you're not going to like his answer.
2: I know it's going to be too much. I, I can already expect it, but yeah, it, it, that's the thing. Is it right. worth it? You have to you have to look at the the risk reward now and to see if a guy like Cole Hamels is actually going to make that much of a difference at this point in his career, and 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 the fact that you're going to have to give up somebody substantial to uh, to get him. So it's gonna it'll be interesting to see
1: what happens. All these teams are going to be asking for a lot right now, even for for not even um, starters, for bullpen uh, help. Because I was actually talking to Frank about this on, on our live chat on Tuesday night, is that there were rumors that the, the Padres were asking for Devers from the Red Sox for Brad Hand. That's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. But if that's their asking price, like... Go screw yourself! Like we're just we're good with what we have because you, you you cannot pay that price for a bullpen arm.
2: No, because you got guys like Jonathan Holder who get lit up and then go down to, to get sent to Scranton and then come out and then are, are you know dominant from April sixth. Like bullpen arms can show up out of nowhere too. That does happen. It happens
1: a lot. And they actually. can go away. They and can, they can go, go away in the blink of an eye. Yeah.
2: So uh, you know, unless you're you're talking about one of the you know like a top closer. That has a a long track record uh, uh, that you can rely on and see what he's done for a while. It, it's really hard to give up someone like that. And I, you know, I don't know enough about the guy in San Diego. I know he's a good a good player. I don't know enough about him to to you know to even talk about what kind of a prospect to give up for him at this point, though. Yeah. I mean, need- they're certainly not going to, to me, that's, that's, they're going to be asking for too much. I mean, the market was set a couple years ago with Chapman and all that. You saw the bounties that were going out for, for what we got from Miller and Chapman. The Yankees did that. They set, they set the, a, a pretty good precedent for, um, you know, whoever the top reliever is on the market at that point.
1: But what they received for Chapman and Miller were players, not that, players that were not helping the Cubs and the Indians that season. You're, never, you're not going to trade away a player that's going to help you win a World Series now for another player that's going to help you. You're going to trade away a guy that's in your minor league system. You're not going to take off your major league roster right. to add to your major league roster. That's counterproductive.
2: Oh, no doubt. And you're talking about Devers, you mean. Yeah, I mean, there's... If you're for the Red Sox, for Devers. Correct. That makes no sense. Makes no sense. I mean, like, it's a high... Would, the, it's would a ridiculously, the Padres
1: ask for Andujar?
2: Like, yeah, hell no. Possibly. <laughs> That's probably who they'd ask for. You're right. That's probably who they'd ask for. Yankees yeah, are in a weird situation with, uh, with Andujar and... Um, And Drury, if that ever, if Drury ever does come up, even even though we're we're seeing now that he's playing first base uh, every other game or uh, a couple games a week, he's he's going to be playing first base in Scranton. So that's that's interesting. It'll be definitely interesting to see how the Yankees feel about that third base spot and if they actually feel that uh, they can give up somebody in a trade because of of that depth. Uh, But I think there's so many questions around Drury, uh, question marks around Drury and his health at this point that it's hard to rely on a guy like that if you were to go out and trade uh, and
1: Right. Upcoming Yankees have getaway day against the Mariners on Thursday. Severino versus Paxton. It's probably Seattle's best starting pitcher. Um, and then the Yankees go to Tampa for three down at the lovely Tropicana field.
2: Can't wait to watch those beautiful games on television. That's, that's one of the better games to watch on television. Nothing the like AstroTurf summer baseball, beautiful.
1: summer, June baseball in that dingy, Dusky looking place of the tropicana field. Oh,
2: the field is like glowing. It looks radioactive on television. It's awful.
1: <laughs> Everything's gray.
2: Yeah, except for the except for the grass or the turf that's like neon green.
1: Yeah. Um. So, like I said, stay tuned. I talked to Jim about a ton of stuff in the draft and the prospects. Scott, any last words before we close this thing out?
2: Yeah, I just want to reiterate the the voicemail line. We're we're getting this thing back up. We said that uh, the uh, I think on the last Sunday show, um, we just got to get those calls in. So so start using it again. Let's let's get this this uh, voicemail going. We put out a tweet. We're gonna try to be better about putting those tweets out to remind you guys. But we'll plug it in your phone. Um, and uh, just have it in there so that if something does happen, if you got something to say, give us your best you know, 20 to 30 seconds. Don't talk for a minute because we just will cut it out. It's too damn long sometimes. Just, just go hard for 30 seconds. That's, that's the best. Go hard for 30 seconds. I don't care what you say. Just go hard for 30 seconds. 646 uh, 480
0: 646
2: 480 six, four, 0342. I got voicemails coming in right now as I'm talking, so that's good. We will absolutely have them up on Sunday's episode. So, uh, so let it up.
0: Beautiful. Stay
1: tuned for Jim
2: Callis. We'll talk to you guys in a few days.
1: Joining us on the podcast now is MLB draft and prospect expert Jim Callis. Jim, thanks for joining us.
3: Oh, yeah, glad to, glad to be here.
1: Busy time of year for you.
3: It is, it is. It's starting to slow down. I think we're finally getting the signings to slow to a little bit more of a trickle. So after preparing for the draft and then dealing with all the signings, I feel like I finally can catch my breath just a little bit, although – you know, we'll start revamping all of our top 30 prospects list and our overall top 100 list uh, in July, so it won't be too much of a slowdown.
1: Yeah, for you, because the, the, draft, the MLB draft is unlike any other draft, where the players are, are not as well known. There's 40 rounds, there's hundreds and hundreds of players, and then, like you just talked about, revamping all of the team's top 30. How do you keep track of all of this? Well, how many people are on the team that are compiling all these lists?
3: Um, well, three of us do the list. It, it's me, Jonathan Mayo, and Mike Rosenbaum. So we each have ten teams we do that for. For the actual draft preparations and all the draft commentary, it's, it's Jonathan and myself. So we kind of split the country in half and divide it up geographically and go from there. But, uh, yeah, you know, it, I always feel like I'm have like I, I, I not lose sight, but I'm not quite on top of the minor leagues as much as I like to be. Uh, this time of year, because we 've been dealing the draft so much, and now the pendulum starts to swing back
1: do you think because the the players that come through the baseball draft don 't see the the major leagues for a number of years in in a lot of cases, do you think that 's why the draft is not as popular as it is in say the n f l or basketball
3: yeah no i i think it, I think that there is some truth in that um, you know I also think college baseball while I love it. You know, and some of these guys drafted out of high school it isn't as popular as college football or college basketball. So you aren't seeing, unless you go seek them out, these guys aren't on national TV. You know, on a weekly basis. Although that said, I think the NHL base, the NHL draft is probably the most comparable to the baseball draft, and they get like you know ten thousand fans at their draft. I mean, the teams do a good job of you know they, they rotate around to the various cities, and and the teams really promote it well. So I, I think you could create, you know. You know, more interest, I think MLBs are looking for ways to do that. But I think that's definitely it. You just don't know the players, and they aren't going to make an impact on your big league club. So if you're more of a casual fan, I think you can kind of take it or leave it a little bit.
1: Right, and with college baseball, the College World Series is going on right now. Unless you're a baseball fan, you would not really know that. It's not on nationally televised games, CBS, having all-day marathons and all that stuff like you get with March Madness. So it's certainly not as high profile.
3: No, it isn't, although I will say... The College World Series is still my favorite event of all the events I cover in baseball. And anybody who gets a chance to go to that, it's actually pretty accessible. It's not hard to get tickets. Omaha's a great city, a great host for the event. I cannot recommend that event enough because not only is it good baseball, and you're seeing, you know, eight teams leaving it all out in the field every day as they try to win the national championship, you're going to see, you know, very good players. Uh, you know who who are going to wind up being big league stars. I, I remember seeing Buster Posey at the College World Series, Aaron Nola at the College World Series, you know, uh, you know Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens play at the College World Series. I think there's something like four or five Hall of Famers now who who are in the College World Series, and it, it's just a tremendous, tremendous event. I can't recommend enough.
1: What are your thoughts about? Possibly moving the draft to be all inclusive, so international players as well, which it right now does not include because a lot of the top players, a lot of the top prospects, in all of these team systems come from overseas.
3: Yeah, I, I, I don't like that idea. I, I think we may. I, I thought we were headed towards international draft with this last CBA, and I think the owners got something that's even more favorable. It, you know, we're a system that really clamps down on bonuses. Which, I mean, to be honest. I mean, everybody talks about competitive balance, but that's the real reason anybody wants a draft is, is to eliminate the you know, negotiating power with multiple teams for these guys. But I just think it would be too much apples and oranges. I think an international draft on its own would be very difficult to administrate. Um, it's, you know, I think we still could have one down the road, but I think combining the two drafts would just be a giant mess. Um, at least this way, you, know, you can kind of focus on the draft is toward the beginning of June, and then international signings are in July. I mean, as you know, if you're covering the Yankees and all the prospects they sign, everybody already knows where all the top prospects are going to sign because those deals get set in place. But I just think if you had a, an international draft combined with an amateur draft, it would just be a giant mess to administrate. And I think just administrating an international draft on its own would be difficult as well.
1: But don't you think it could get rid of some of the chicanery that we see with teams manipulating the the pool money uh, and on all that kind of stuff that we've seen teams get penalized for?
3: Well, we've only seen a couple teams get penalized. um, And no, I mean – I don't know if it would necessarily eliminate that. I mean, I guess it would definitely eliminate everybody agreeing to deals with players months in advance, which you're not supposed to do um, because you couldn't because you wouldn't know who you're going to get drafted. Um, but I think you'd be pushing some international players up higher in the, in the amateur draft if you combined them than teams would want because they'd be paying a lot more for them. I mean, the, the slots at the top of the draft are much more than you could pay an international player. Um, I think teams that do a good job at both would feel like they're being penalized because you wouldn't be able to get as many players. But, no, I mean, if the Braves are going to cheat and sign guys to under-the-table bonuses so they won't get, you know, limited what they could do in the future, uh, I I think they probably would have cheated under, you know, an international draft system if that opportunity existed. You know, the Red Sox got caught doing package deals, which I, I think a lot of teams actually Do that. I shouldn't say. I think. I think they are. They're not the only team that does package deals, but it was somewhat blatant because it was a year where they couldn't sign players for more than I think three hundred thousand dollars because they'd gone over the year before, and yet they were signing players for three hundred thousand dollars he should have commanded more money so it was kind of obvious but uh so no i I don't i i think you'd still have it would still be kind of like the wild wild west down there where where anything goes it would just be a different framework
1: and then i guess you'd throw the the monkey wrench and all this would be the japanese players like we just saw with otani coming over and we've seen with big name players like tanaka who had to have a posting fee if they could not enter the draft because their teams wouldn't release them then that would create i guess a whole other mess
3: I don't know if you'd ever have an international draft where it would include players who are in countries that have their own leagues, because it would just be too different. Right. I, I think the draft would be more for amateurs, and, and the Otanis and Tanakas would get treated more you know, like some form of free agency.
1: Mm-hmm. All right, let's talk about the Yankees draft. They, uh, they caught everybody's attention drafting Anthony Siegler in the first round, mainly because he is a switch hitting catcher, but also a switch pitcher. So could you just talk a little bit about him and, I guess, his talent level, considering he can do all that different stuff on the field?
3: Yeah, you know, he's interesting. I mean, everybody knows about the switch pitching. And I write that I mean, every time I write about the guy I mentioned. I basically write some version of, hey, he's a switch hitter and he's a switch pitcher. But he's also a pretty talented guy, too. He's a very athletic uh, catcher. I mean, some guys even think the tool's for profile at second base if you want. You think kind of like an Austin Barnes type of, type of catcher. Um, you know, he moves really well behind the plate. Um, he's got a, a solid arm and gets rid of the ball pretty quickly. Um, I think you're feeling pretty good you know, with his athleticism. He'll be a good pitch framer. Um, you know, switch hitter, good line drive swing. You know, I don't think it's going to be big power necessarily. I think it's more of a line drive, you know, hit for average and a power guy. But, I mean, this is a catcher. You know, he, he's probably close to an average runner too, which is better than most catchers. I mean, so this is a guy who could, who could help you offensively and, and defensively.
1: The, uh, the whole the, – obviously a lot of players in, in prep school and high school – pitch and hit because they're they're just more talented than most of the players at that level Uh, do you think though with otani and i know now he's hurt so it might change things but if otani works out and he can do both do you think we'll see teams start to draft for for players that can do both
3: i I don't um i think last year was kind of a weird year where you had brendan mckay got drafted that way by the rays you know hunter green had two-way talent but you know you can't play shortstop and pitch because it takes too much of a toll on your arm. Nick Prado is also another first round pick who's a two way guy. But I don't. I just think it's too hard to do one, and it's even harder to do both. You know, and keep a guy healthy as well. I mean, Bernie McKay is pitching really well in the minors. Um, I think he's actually on the DL with an oblique injury now, um, and you know, but he's not hitting that great either. And I think there are very few guys who have superstar potential both ways, and unless that's the case. Uh, you know, I just think you're asking too much.
1: So let's move on to some Yankee prospect talk right now. Uh, a lot of Yankee fans are very uh, involved with what's going on in the Yankee system because of what Brian Cashman has done over the last year to two years, turning the system into the one of the best in the league. But with Gleyber Torres now in the majors, he was the Yankees' top prospect. Who do you see as the, their number one guy in the system?
3: Yeah, you know, it's interesting because... You know, we, we kind of shift our, our lists around as the season goes. You know, as Torres graduates, he comes off the list. And so right now the number one prospect on our list is Esteban Florial. You know, and we'll, we'll revamp our lists and add the draft guys in July. You know, but Florial's out right now with, with a handmade injury. Um, you know, he's got great tools. He's got swing and miss concerns. So, I mean, I think you can answer that question one of two ways right now. I think if you want to go on pure ceiling, um, it would be Florial because I mean you're talking about a guy who, if he hits, it, it could be plus power, well above average speed, well above average arm, center fielder. Uh, that's pretty exciting. I think if you wanted to factor floor in a little bit more and mitigate risk, I think you could argue that Justice Sheffield, you know, maybe his ceiling isn't as high as Florial's, but he's got a better chance of reaching his ceiling, which is a number three starter. He's been pretty consistent throughout his career. So I think you could argue that one either way. And and I do our Yankees list and I really haven't thought about that going forward. Um because we're still doing draft stuff and I'll start to have to think about that in July. Um, you know, I don't know. I I, I I'm I'm really intrigued by Floreal, but you know, I mean there are big swing and miss concerns there, you know, so I, I, I guess if, if you ask me right now, I would probably lean toward putting Sheffield slightly ahead of him. I think Floreal's 37th on our top 100 now, and Sheffield's number 40 on our top 100, which is our preseason list minus guys who graduated like Torres and, and Otani and everybody else. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, that's it, it, an interesting call. I mean, the, the guy who, who's, I mean, and I wouldn't put him number one, I mean, Luis Medina is the probably most exciting guy just I mean his stuff sounds crazy with a you know fastball up to 102 with life and curveball with high spin and a split change I mean now he's raw and he's in rookie ball and he doesn't throw a lot of strikes but I mean he might be the best one of them all if they can polish him up. Florio
1: really shot up their boards last year and so much so that I think they were comfortable trading Blake Ruther- Rutherford to the White Sox uh but what makes Florio like what, what about him? Uh you sort of talked about his, his ceiling, but what what happened over the last year that really shot him up the prospect boards?
3: Um I think it's I mean, I think he's always had these tools. I think it's just that he got the full season ball last year, um and then people kinda got to see more of him because you you just don't see you know, when you're you're in, in complex leagues or rookie ball or whatever I just don't think the spotlight's on you. you know, but he was in the Fall League last year. He was in low Class A. I mean, this is a guy who who was one of the best prospects in the 2014-15 international period, but he kind of – I don't know. Under the radar is not the right way to put it. But he had, he, had a, he had a birth certificate issue, identity issue. He got barred for signing for a year. Um, and so he just kind of got forgotten about a little bit um, before – you know, signing for $200,000. So I think because he wasn't a big money player and he wasn't in full season ball, like, he just wasn't on a lot of people's radars. But, I mean, I mean, his raw power and speed and arm strength are, are all huge, huge tools. Uh, you know, he just needs to make consistent contact to, to, to be what he could be.
1: Where would Clint Fraser rank in their system if he still had eligibility?
3: That's a good question, because he's, like, in that kind of limbo of... You know he's not officially a prospect by our definition anymore because he's he's got too much service time in the big leagues. But at the same time, I mean he's he's far from an established big leaguer. Um, I'd almost be tempted. I'd probably be tempted to put him number one. To be honest, I mean I do think you know there there needs to be some polish there as well. But I mean, you know the guy's torn up triple A. You know, this year when he's been there, I I think he'd probably be number one, but I think it'd be a close discussion. I mean, again, if Floreal, you know, and it's a big if, if Floreal reaches his potential, he's the best guy. Um, But there is a lot more risk with him. So I'd probably go Frazier number one.
1: And you, you, you sort of mentioned uh, Medina as a guy who's in, in low A-ball, so we might not see him anytime soon. But the Yankees have done a good job of bringing up pitchers. We've seen Herman come up this year and really contribute. Loisiga, who only had one start, but he looked uh, impressive in his one start. Who are some other pitchers we might see in the next uh, year to year and a half that might make an impact?
3: Yeah, I mean, you know, Sheffield's one. Um, I think Albert Breu is a guy who could start to move quickly. He's in High A right now, but he's got a really, really good arm. Uh, he looked tremendous in the Arizona Fall League. He had the best start anybody I saw in the, in the Arizona Fall League last year. And I mean, I mean, he can hit a hundred, and and he's got a power breaking ball and a pretty good changeup. I mean, Chance Adams probably not a, a front line role, but Chance Adams, you know, even though he's not put up the numbers in Triple A, is a guy who could be up. Domingo Acevedo's in Double A. He's not too too far away uh, either. Um, you know, I think we could see Dylan Tate in a potential – I'm suspecting he might wind up as more of a reliever, um, although, I mean, they're, they're still developing him as a starter. You know, Trevor Steffen's a guy they took the third round last year. He's already up in double-A in and pitching well. You know, Cody Carroll is the best relief prospect in the fall league last year. I think he's another guy. I mean, you've seen Giovanni Gallegos up and down uh, a little bit. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, – a guy like like Trevor Lane, who's a lefty reliever, you know, maybe makes a move pretty quick. I, I thought Ben Heller was a guy who could have helped, but he had Tommy John surgery. So I mean, they got they have a lot of guy, a lot of arms who could help them in, in the very near future.
1: Miguel Andujar has come up and I think uh, exceeded some people's expectations. Although a lot of people said he could hit, um, did, has he ex- ex- exceeded your expectations so far?
3: Um. Uh, yeah. I mean, maybe slightly. I mean. I don't know if I would have expected him to come up and hit 290 right away, but, you know, I mean, I knew he had a good bat. I knew he had impressive power. Um, I think there were more questions about him, uh, you know, defensively. Um, I don't think the defensive metrics love him. I mean, but, uh, you know, he's maybe, you know, hitting slightly better than I thought. But, I mean, this is a guy, you know, if you you told me he was going to play every day, I, I could have seen him hitting, you know, 260, you know, Two sixty or so with twenty homers, and he's on pace to do a little bit better than that. But I mean, I mean, very talented guy. I mean, you kind of, you kind of said the same thing about Claver Torres. Like, I think Claver Torres going to batting championship one day, and I knew he was talented. but I think he was going to come up and immediately start hitting like at a forty home run pace. <laughs> and, no, I did not. <laughs> so I, I knew both these guys were good. So they, they probably exceeded my expectations a little bit. You know, just, just like. I mean, Aaron Judge last year, I mean, look, I, I, I thought Aaron Judge could hit for power. I didn't think he was going to hit 50-something home runs as a rookie.
1: Right, so that, that sort of hitting for power as you enter the major leagues has been a topic that we've talked about on this show recently. And we've seen guys do it. I mean, even Gary Sanchez came up and hit more home runs than he did in the minors. Uh, what, why do you think that is a pretty common occurrence? And what are some other guys maybe not on the Yankees around the league that you've seen that happen with as well?
3: Well, I mean, I think the game has definitely shifted to a power over hit. Like, a lot of guys are swimming for power. And, like, with the Yankees, I mean, I do think Sanchez was always a power over hit guy. I think Aaron Judge was always a power over hit guy. I think Andahar was more of a power over hit guy. Um, I think, um, uh, you know, Torres is the exception. Um, you know, obviously Yankee Stadium is a great place to hit. Um, I mean, Cody Bellinger was another guy who was a power over hit guy. Um, but, again, I don't think anybody saw him coming up and doing, you know, doing what he did last year. So, um, yeah, I just think that's the way the game is going on. I mean, Paul DeJong, you know, with the Cardinals, is another guy, you know, who was a power-over-hit guy. But I, I just think the game is so geared to power. And, I mean, it just seems like now, you know, I, I, you know, I think it gets, you know, everybody uses Fred, but, you know, this, this launch angle revolution, mm-hmm. You know, and then you have guys, you know, if you're trying to pitch at the bottom of the strike zone and a guy, you know, has a, has a, has a swing with loft and he barrels the ball, you know, it's just tailor-made for hitting home runs. So I, I just think that's kind of what baseball's become.
1: And with Glaber Torres, like you said, he was, he was not a power over hit guy. So the fact that he does still have that hit tool and is now hitting for power makes you maybe have to reevaluate what his potential ceiling could be.
3: Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't know about that. I mean, I mean, I guess if he's really a forty-home run hitter, yeah, it would. But I mean, I, I thought this was a guy who could win batting titles and hit twenty-five plus homers a year. So the um, ceiling was already off the charts. Um, you know, and, you know, maybe he trades some power, you know, some average for some power. But I mean, uh, that guy's going to be a superstar. And, you know, they, uh, no doubt in my mind.
1: Another guy from that Glaber Torres trade is Billy McKinney, who we saw for about a day in the majors before getting hurt. Um, he's back healthy now. What do you see for Billy McKinney?
3: Um, well, I mean, in New York, I think he's a fourth outfielder because he's not going to move Judge or Stanton off a corner. He's, he's okay. Uh, you know, I, I mean, I, I'm not a huge, I, I don't see the guy as a, as an everyday player on a, on a contending club. You know, maybe he's more of a second division regular. Um, I think he can hit, um, you know, I know he's struggled a little bit this year in AAA. Um, you know, he's he had some injuries in his minor league career, but like, I mean, to me, he's the type of guy. He he can hit for some average. He can hit for some power. I don't know if he's going to do either one to a great extent. I mean, if you played him every day, he might be a two hundred and sixty, fifteen to twenty homer guy on a corner. Uh, and I just don't know if that's, you know, like that's not a first division regular. But I mean, he is talented, but I think he's kind of one of those guys who's, who's going to be more of a complimentary player than than a, than a guy you're going to stick in your lineup and play every day.
1: And especially on this Yankees roster for the outfield, it's extremely deep. Like we just talked about Clint Frazier. So I, I would expect the Yankees to package some of these guys at the trade deadline.
3: Yeah, maybe. I mean, I don't think you're going to get a ton for Billy McKinney. I mean, he's, you know, 23... And, like I said, I mean, he, you know, uh, he can hit for some average of power, but, like, I, I, don't know if you're, I don't know if you're putting any pluses on him. So, I mean, to me, Bill, you know, I know he's a former first-round pick. I don't think he's – you know, it's, it was interesting. You know, he was really developing nicely. He got traded by the Cubs to the A's, and then he got hurt in the Cubs system. And, you know, he, he's been okay at times. You know, he's, he's been good at times since, but, like, hasn't really sustained it to the same degree. Uh, you know, to me, if you're making a blockbuster trade – Billy McKinney's the third or fourth player in the trade. He's not, you know, the guy you're building the trade around.
1: Right. Does Clint Frazier get you one of the top pitching, uh, pitching arms at the, at the deadline, do you think?
3: Um. Yeah. I mean, I think a guy like that would be very interesting. I mean, there's still a lot of upside there. Um. Yeah. I mean, he he could. I mean, again. I mean, it's going You know, if you're talking about Cole Hamills, I, I don't think you know it's just gonna be Clint Frazier for Cole Hamels. But you know, the Yankees. I mean, with a loaded big league team and a loaded system, especially in terms of pitching depth, they can afford to give up good players to you know to, to go out and get what they get. You kind of like how you know the the, the way they got the I mean, that's how the Cubs were. I mean, the Cubs had you know uh, you know probably the best. Group of young position prospects I've ever seen uh, in 30 years covering this stuff. Um, and they look, the Cubs knew Gleber Torres was going to probably be a future star, but they needed a role as Chapman. You know, they had Addison Russell, they had Javi Baez, you know, they had Ben Zobrist playing second, you know, they had Ian Happ coming. And so they made the decision look, you know, it hurts to give up Gleber Torres, but we've got a lot of middle infield types and we can do it. So I, I think, you know, the Yankees are in a position too, where, I mean, they, they, they have the ammunition and the big league club is so loaded too, that you don't have spots to play all these guys.
1: Yeah. That, that Glaber Torres trade for Chapman was, uh, I think going to go back in history and Yankees fans are going to love that for forever. But I've heard some people talking about that. There should be a penalty. If you re-sign the player, you traded away. What are your thoughts on that?
3: Um, I don't see why that is. I mean, you know, if you had some kind of illegal agreement that, like, hey, you're definitely coming back here, right. like maybe, but no. I mean, I mean, I think at the time of the trade, people. I mean, everybody speculated. I shouldn't say everybody, but there was a lot of speculation that the Cubs were, were renting him. They weren't. You know, the Cubs didn't, weren't going to believe in paying a closer big money on a free agent contract, and that there was a very good chance he was going to wind up back with the Yankees. So, um, I don't think um, I, I, I don't think it needs to be penalized at all.
1: Hmm. Well, Jim, thanks very much for joining, and uh, we're looking forward to those new rankings coming out soon. Yeah, I need to,
0: I need to get on those. I'm looking forward to them
1: too. Hey, guys,
2: thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show, we'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes, and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it, and go Yankees.